There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. 4001, if you want to have your say, uh, people are doing exactly that at the moment. Uh, Nicholas has been in touch with us saying, uh, Nicholas here saying, Ari, West Ham uh, appreciate that they have not had the results. And to be fair, I have barely watched them this season. But all the points you made about the ingredients of Pellegrini, etc. still remain valid. They haven't gone away just because of the fact that they haven't won. Come on, you Irons. We'll wait and see. <laughs> They've just kicked off. Uh, uh, as have uh, Tottenham against... Uh, uh, Sheffield United, uh, that one, uh, two minutes, not even two minutes on the clock, and Eric Dyer's in the book already. He is in the book, Tom, absolutely right. A silly, silly tackle from Eric Dyer. Getting a chance here in this Spurs side today for the first time in a few weeks. Not a player, I think, that is going to be pushing Spurs into the top four. But his cynical tackle, really, down by the right-hand corner flag, has led to a corner for Sheffield United, from which it was strung in by John Lundstrom, fantasy football's favourite other man. <laughs> yeah. And then in the scramble, I couldn't see who was that got a shot off from the edge of the box, but it's Paolo Gazinga needed to be at his best to tip it over the bar. And from the following corner, it's gone straight into the side netting. But suffice to say, this Tottenham side, who are creaking a little bit, they are not showing a good start in front of their fans. Let's turn our attention back to all through. Hang on. There's Hang a goal. On. Hang There's on. a goal Hang at on. St Mary's. There's a goal at St Mary's. Before we talk all things NBA and do get your messages in for our very special guest in just a moment. But the early goal, the first goal of the 7pm kickoffs in the English Premier League, it's come at St Mary's. Oh, and it's not good news if you're a Southampton fan because you have been wretched in recent weeks. And what have you gone and done? You've gone and conceded early on. And it's Tom Davies, the young midfielder at the back post. It was a corner from the right-hand side. It was swung in and the young midfielder found himself all alone at the back post, headed it past the goalkeeper. I think it's Angus Gunn in goals for Southampton and Everton. They lead at St Mary's, Southampton, and Ralph Hussenhattel. I feel for him. Well, lest we forget, the last thing the Southampton fans saw at that home ground was, of course, that 9-0 oh, yeah. thumping by Leicester. <laughs> they may have resorted a little bit of pride in those two games against Manchester City, which, of course, they did lose, but they were on the road. So having seen a 9-0, the fans have come back in thinking, let's hope for a little bit of a change. And inside a couple of minutes, they're behind. Uh, let's get to a little bit of EAFL for you. It is back. Uh, and, of course, Ross Christ tweets and text messages are back as well. Yeah. Uh, the Dubai Renegades have defeated the Abu Dhabi Spartans 44-30 to 30, uh, behind the three-touchdown effort of Luke Norrie. And then the marvellously named Vivaldi Tulace uh, did his best to make things interesting for the hometown fans. Emirates Gridiron standings week two, Spartans two, uh, nil. Renegades one nil up. Uh, Warriors uh, none from one. Titans none from two. Spartans leading the uh, the, uh, uh, the the, the uh, table at the moment by Spartans defeating the Alain Warriors by 49 points to nil in Abu Dhabi the first blowout of the year yeah EFL going from strength to strength of course Emirates uh, Football League American Football League that is and from one American sport that's flourishing in this part of the world to another because I'm delighted to say a good friend of ours he's been on the agenda he's been on the grill <laughs> as well he's someone that kind of gets around our shows for good reason because there's always a lot to discuss when it comes to all things basketball I'm delighted to say that joining us it is Neil Ma Associate Vice President, Basketball Operations for the NBA over here in the Middle East and across Europe as well. And Neil, I say a very good afternoon, or it's not afternoon anymore, it's evening. A very good evening to you, my man. Hey, great to be here. It's always a pleasure to, to come and visit you guys. It's wonderful to have you back on the show. You've been a busy boy over the last couple of days. Dubai Fitness Challenge is in full swing and the NBA has been making sure that you have been front and centre. Yeah, no, it's a, it's been a great partnership. Uh, our NBA basketball school is working with Nike uh, to be part of the fitness challenge this weekend, and uh, we ran uh, two days of clinics uh, over on the court there. Uh, it was great turnout. 
Um, we've had 100 kids or so come through. Uh, a few of them had opportunity to win some gift packs from Nike, and, and, and we actually gave away a few scholarships to a few kids that uh, performed well that are going to come to the NBA basketball school uh, next semester. How important, Neil, is it? And I, I appreciate it. If you've got any questions for Neil, Neil's with us for the next 15, 20 minutes or so. When I read out that job title, I would imagine there are far better things that you could be doing than kind of coming out here and, and getting down grassroots with the kids. But that's testament to you and I guess testament to where the NBA is currently at. How important is it for you that you do make the trip over here, that you are getting to the courts in Dubai and looking and watching and analysing the kids playing the game? No, it's very important from the NBA. Obviously, we're a global brand and we want to continue to grow globally and the Middle East is a big part of that. And having our first ever NBA basketball school here and a partnership with Strike Sports is super important um, because it's going to give kids the opportunity to uh, sign up and, and get some high-level training if they want to develop as players. But not only that, uh, from a grassroots level, new kids can come in and participate. Um, and, and it's not only that, it's being here to, to uh, meet different people, different basketball groups, and, and stay, spend time with our partners. I want to talk about that NBA school because the guys came in ooh, a few months back in actual fact to Dubai 103.8 Studios when it was just being launched, just announced. How's it all going? Where are we currently at in terms of the kids themselves coming into the school and where the school itself wants to take them on their basketball journey? Yeah, I mean, it's a process, you know, but we, our numbers are doing really well. We, we've got uh, kids in all age ranges. Um, we've just we brought in our technical director, Jock, who's been doing a great job with his with his coaches. Um, but it, it's a process. It's going to continue to grow. And as kids come in and they go through, you know, we have a curriculum that uh, we use for the basketball schools that was developed by NBA, FIBA, USA Basketball which gives them a pathway of development. So there's checklists, there's, there's practice plans, there's ways for to see them progress, but also for them to see um, their progression and, and, and uh, accomplishing something. That, that's the interesting thing in all of this. And I've spoken to so many individuals across a litany of sports in all my years here. And one of the things that's always kind of struck me is that set up satellite, let's call it a satellite academy here, you in London and the team over in the US, how much are you keeping an eye? If I'm a parent, for example, and my kid loves basketball and wants to play basketball, how much of their development are you guys monitoring from afar to ensure that A, they're doing the right things, and B, if they are talented, that there are checkpoints later down the line that maybe a college could open up. Yeah. Maybe the NBA, and I know that's a small percentage will ever make it to the NBA, but how important and, and how kind of hands-on are you guys? We're very hands-on. I mean, we have NBA basketball schools around the globe. We have them in India, China, and then obviously here in the Middle East, in Europe. Um, and we track the kids, and we work with our technical directors. Um, we have bi-weekly calls with them. We have a Smartabase, which is a database, which they send us weekly reports on the number of kids participating, the drills they're doing, and the progression they're making. And we think that's very important. And even today, we had a great visit. We invited all the parents from the school today. We gave a presentation to give them an understanding of the pathway from grassroots to the NBA basketball schools, potentially to the NBA academies, and then, you know, as you said, maybe to the WNBA NBA sometime. Give us a bit of an insight because I think any learned observer of the NBA will know in the last five, ten years, and you're a great man for us to talk to about this, 
far more Europeans. The NBA is far more global. It's more global now than it ever was. I look at some of the, the stars that are participating and starring in the NBA. Adam Silver at the top of the tree, of course, the commissioner. Is that now part of your remit to start spreading more schools into India's, into China's, into the Middle East? Because you are aware that the more kind of kids from around the globe you can put into the NBA, the bigger the league becomes. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it allows uh, to create fans in other countries that are going to watch basketball and be a fan of the game. Um, and it's in a great game, but it's very important. Um, you know, we have 113 plus players this year in the NBA. Uh, about 56% or uh, 56 of those are from Europe, but then a, a large portion from Africa. Um, Canada is another big uh, area yeah. where we get them from. And then, you know, we have a few from China, which are which are great. But it's it's very important. And we're hoping to get our next player from India and then uh, hopefully eventually here in the Middle East. McCarty's got his work cut out here. He's got to conduct the interview and then keep an eye on the big Don't screen at the same time I, I, as well. I'm He's a multitasker, that. that's for sure. I know who scored. It's not good news for you boys. Burnley have taken the lead. And I believe from the corner of my eye, despite the fact that I'm listening, who says men can't multitask? It's Ashley Barnes who has opened the scoring for Burnley. Manuel Pellegrini, Nicholas, bless you, my man. If you're still listening, I hate to tell you this, Manuel Pellegrini is increasingly looking like a dead man walking. Ashley Barnes, who's gone quiet. Everyone had him in their fantasy football teams at the start of the season. He went a little quiet. He's back amongst the goals. Burnley lead by a goal to nil. Of course, Burnley coming off the back of that 3-0 defeat to Sheffield United last time out, which was so uncharacteristic for them under Sean Dyche. They're looking to bounce back. They lead by a goal to nil. We're keeping an eye on that one. And we'll do that as we go. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. We'll keep an eye on all the goals as they go. Ian, Chris, back to you. Yeah, I, I want to just, Neil, you know, the, the, the NBA and the growth of it, I think, is the most exciting. I, I know perhaps LeBron James is, is obviously still there. And we've now got the likes of Kawhi Leonard, for example, who is an absolute superstar. And there are a litany of them. I think it's your expansion into other areas that, that really have people kind of taking notice of the NBA. Talk to us a little bit about, I know it's out of your remit, but India and China and what the plans are there over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the growth of basketball for us, you know, football's obviously the king out there. And, and it's for us to try to continue to get kids coming in at the grassroots level, going up through uh, um, the academies, the basketball schools, um, but giving kids the opportunity to experience a sport. In India, China, uh, there's, the populations are so big and there's so many kids out there that there could be a hidden gem, but if, you, if they never get introduced to the game, they're never gonna, you're never going to have a chance to know. And in Africa as well, I mean, th those countries uh, are, are opportunities for us to, to not only grow the game of basketball, but also spread the values of the game, of teamwork, sportsmanship, and things that are going to help kids on and off the court. How has your remit changed, Neil, or has it changed in the last kind of few years? Yeah, no, it has. I mean, uh, when I first came into to the Europe Middle East, you know, we didn't have any programs. And now we have over 90 programs with about 25 different partners uh, at grassroots. And then so our biggest piece or biggest change I've had in the past couple of years is kind of the elite piece, which is adding our basketball schools um, and, and trying to focus and scout on talent and, and find opportunities for kids in other regions to maybe get a pathway to our academies. What's your biggest challenge? Because we, we talk about it. I feel that an awful lot of sports have gone through a bit of an identity crisis. To name names, I look at cricket, they, they, they panic. Oh, we need to change up what we've been doing so well. Golf right now, certainly Keith Pelly, chief executive of the European Tour, looking at ways to make golf a little bit more digestible, a little bit quicker. 
What's been the kind of challenge or, or where is MBA at right now? Is it in a good place? Yeah, I think we are, but we're always learning. We're, we're evaluating all the time, trying to find opportunities to engage with our fans more, uh, whether that's through our mobile app, um, where, where fans can watch our NBA league pass, and now we have different views, and, 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 uh, and we have coaches mode where a, a, a fan who wants to be a coach or loves this, the strategic part can see different court markings and how a guy's making cuts. We have the, the fan mode where it has stats of the players pop up. Um, you have the mascot mode where when a guy goes in for a slam dunk, you get the, the lightning striking now. But, you know, engaging with our fans, giving a way to, to digest the sport uh, in a fun and exciting way. I'm going to get really nerdy and geeky with you now, just for a couple of moments. Sorry, Tom. I've got to always do this because I, I like the minutiae, as uh, we would say on this show, because I want to talk how the game has changed tactically. Well, look at what Golden State Warriors have done. Steve Kerr, small ball. There's none of, you know, no big men now. How is the game? And park that thought. We're going to come to that thought in a second. Let's get over to Matt, who's got news of a goal. Where, Matt? I do indeed, and that goal is at St. James's Park. A recently resurgent Newcastle, of course. Their great result against, um, forget West Ham United, West of course, Ham last was. week it was. All right, all right, all right. But for those Toon fans that are listening, it's not such good news, I'm afraid. Bournemouth themselves struggling in front of goal the last few weeks. They're, they're winning games. They're not quite pushing on as we expect. It is they who have taken the league, and it's Wilson. But it's not the Callum that everybody has in their team. It's the Liverpool loanee, <laughs> young Harry Wilson. He is the one from a beautifully worked corner. A short little routine down there led to a nice little pullback to around the penalty spot. And the young Liverpool lad has stroked one home for, the, for Bournemouth. They lead after 14 minutes. Big goal, that. That's what's happening in the Premier League. Sorry, Chris. It's all right. I've given Neil a couple of minutes to think it through. But, you know, <laughs> technically, tactically, how is NBA evolving? Yeah, I mean, it is. And like you said, there used to be the back-to-the-basket, more bump-and-grind kind yeah. of game. And then it kind of got in that up-tempo, quick scoring. And now it's gone the next step, whereas now even the big men are shooting threes. They're stretching the floor. And big men are much more mobile and, and skilled. Um, so that piece has really changed. And, and, and the, the nice thing now, even with this season, is, is you know, there's so many good teams. Players have moved around. There's some excitement around it. So, you know, uh, you know the scoring, you know, you have Luka Doncic's, the young uh, yes. European players um, that are having great seasons so far. So it's going to be an exciting year. Parents out there, Neil, be very honest here. Is it height? Is that the first thing? That you look for? Um, I don't. Th- I. I, th- no, I mean, height is definitely uh, helps. It, it helps to have. But I think you know, looking at players now is their their skill and their ability to play uh, quick in an up-tempo way um, and utilizing those skills um, or what you look for and how they feel as uh, as a team, how they can fit in with a team. Um, and three-point shooting has been a huge part of the game and, and guys that can shoot the ball um, is really important nowadays. Now we've seen the NFL do wonders and I think it's only a matter of time and I'm speaking, perhaps I'm speculating a bit, but I think it is only a matter of time before a London franchise pops up from an NFL. We've seen it with great success at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, of course, with a number of games in recent weeks. The NBA, where are we at with kind of bringing the game? Forget the kids, and and it's all, I say forget the kids, I shouldn't say that. The grassroots is excellent, and that is the lifeblood of the NBA moving forward. But taking the NBA across to other climes and other kind of countries, where are we at with that? 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, the MBA has always been evaluating over the past 10, 15 years opportunities to, you know, how do we expand? Do we do we create a division in Europe? Do we bring one team over to London? Um, but, you know, the newest development is we, we're launching the Ball Basketball League, the Basketball Africa League, which is a yes. partnership with FIBA and whatnot. So we're evaluating opportunities to start leagues in other countries um, where we can continue to grow the game um, and use our expertise working in the local environment, giving them the infrastructure and things that allow a, a sustainable league to form. Talk about ball for us in Africa. How much input will the NBA have? Will they oversee it all? Yeah, so, you know, the, yeah, we're, 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 it's a big piece of what we're doing. It's a big focus of, of our group in, in Europe and obviously New York and our, and our Africa office um, to implement the league. Um, and, and it's our first year going through, so we're really working to find the facilities um, to get it kicked off and then working with local agencies to help us deliver and also train and develop the teams that are going to participate with the, with the eventual effect of them taking over and running their game events, activities, and putting on the whole show uh, like we do in the NBA. And the last time that you were here, Neil, there is a, a shiny new stadium not too far from us here. Coca-Cola Arena is its name. You know where I'm going with this. When you've got 17,000 there, when you've got a vibrant metropolitan, you know, a, a wonderful cosmopolitan city like this, does the NBA take a game here, whether it be an exhibition or not? I think in the yeah in the in the near future, I think we do. I think you know Adam Silver and and our our, our managing director in Europe um, and Middle East. You know we're evaluating that all the time because we think this would be a perfect location to bring a, a preseason game, probably to start out, and then after that uh, maybe an opportunity to bring a regular season game, depending on scheduling. But for sure, it's it's something that's in the pipeline, and I'm excited about. How much does Saudi Arabia feature in all of this? Because we're about to see Anthony Joshua fight Andy Ruiz Jr. over there. We know Vince. McMahon man has taken the WWE in there and huge sums of money have changed hands. Saudi, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, moving in the right direction, bringing more entertainment, sporting entities in there. Is Saudi an area of focus for you particular? Yeah, we have ongoing discussion, discussions with uh, groups in, in, in that region and, and in Saudi Arabia as well, evaluating opportunities to bring youth development as well as uh, uh, games in the future. So we're open to any opportunities and it's just really working from a business perspective, finding the right opportunity to make that entrance into that country now the hardest question of all who's your team oh my team overall in the NBA yes oh well growing up it was the Phoenix Suns all right um, so um, but the team that I you know I pull for right now has all, it's been Golden State because I know quite a few of the coaches but obviously they're having a little bit of a down year unfortunately with injuries and KD leaving and, and things of that nature yeah before we let you go I've got to get some thoughts on the league I remarked to you just off air before you popped on Neil that I haven't been this enthused about the NBA in a long time. Some of the key pieces have moved together. LA right now, it's just, well, two franchises that are going to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Give us your kind of overall view and who are the teams and, and perhaps some players that we should be keeping an eye on this season. Well, I mean, obviously L.A., uh, the Lakers and the Clippers with, with the changes you just spoke about. I think the Denver Nuggets with uh, Jokic, uh, you, yes. you know, playing unbelievable. He has a chance to be an MVP um, is another one. Utah Jazz are a team that I really like, um, you know, and then if you, you look in the east, um, you know, uh, there, there's uh, you know teams that are that are on the fringe, but obviously the Milwaukee Bucks are a team that has 
has a chance. Philadelphia, uh, again, they have a chance as well. Ben Simmons just got yeah. hurt, unfortunately, um, but hopefully he can uh, get back and, and they can get back on track. But it's going to be an exciting year, and it'll be interesting. I think we'll have a, a couple new teams potentially in the finals. Oh, interesting. Listen, yes. last one. Take it full circle. Things here, plans here. What can we expect coming weeks, months from NBA and a Dubai perspective? Yeah, I mean, it, for us, it's really focusing on our NBA basketball school, which just launched. You know, we, we you know, our, our numbers are good. Uh, we want to keep growing that. We want to keep giving kids the opportunity to to learn and develop and experience that, and then giving those kids an opportunity to play in, in three on three and five on five competitions um, uh, going forward. And then you know, working with strikes to evaluate other potential opportunities um, to uh, to to do more here in Dubai. Any parent, any child listening to this this afternoon thinks, well. I've got a kid that's good or equally mum I'm decent at this what's the best place to go how can they find out more information about the school they can reach out to strike sports who's our partner and they have all the information on the basketball schools how to register um, camps that are going to be coming up in the future uh, so that's the best place to go the voice there of Neil Meyer associate vice president basketball operations EMEA for the NBA for goodness sake best of luck Golden State not going to win it this year I'm afraid no. to say <laughs> I don't think they are Neil bless you my man thank you so thank much thank you for having me just, just before you go though Neil, I mean, we, we've got to ask you, I mean, Chris has asked you about all things basketball. Football, do you follow the football as well? I follow it a little bit, but I, I don't know many of the players and whatnot. Who's your so team, Neil? Be very careful <laughs> with your answer here. <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. I I just go to, you know, when I'm invited to go to a game oh, or, like you know, and that's I can go answer. see a good match and enjoy it, that's what I like to do. Have you been to the, the Premier League match? I have. I have. I've been to a couple games. He yeah, lives yeah. in London, Tom. Yeah. He's, yeah, got, yeah. he's got yeah. loads yeah. of teams on his doorstep. Yeah. And, I, and a lot of my colleagues are, are football fans, so I, I've had a few opportunities to go and attend Best some. experience? Oh, man, I went and saw Chelsea play uh, um, a, a year or so ago yeah. and then really enjoyed the atmosphere Bridge. in, the, sta yeah, in yeah. the stadium and everything. Good yeah, place to go yeah. yeah, it is. Chris is a Chelsea fan, so you're in. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, don't earlier. listen to him. Don't listen to him. <laughs> you have got to get up to Manchester for proper football. <laughs> you know saying? The blue yeah. half of Manchester. <laughs> Bless you, Neil. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks for coming on, Dan. We'll take a short break when we come back. I'm going to talk... Uh, Boxing with a little b. Boxing with a question mark. Oh, is it boxing? Uh, cruiserweight professional boxing. Tom, talk don't that. belittle it. And YouTubers. then, of course, we're going to talk YouTube boxing as well. Yeah. This is the grill live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, we're live down here at Barasti. You do uh, get your thoughts into us. Text us on four zero zero one. We're all over the sport for you throughout the evening, as we do each and every Saturday between the hours of six and nine. A couple of goals going in uh, around the Premier League already. None in our sort of feature match on the big screen at present, uh, Matt. We're watching Tottenham against uh, Sheffield United. Uh, you've been watching this one. Uh, who's got? Who's had the the better of the first fifteen? Well, uh, thanks, Tom. Well, the, well, the well, there hasn't been any goals. I have to say, it's been a fascinating game to watch. Tottenham just about coming into it. We've got 26, 26 minutes on the clock, and I think we have just seen Tottenham's first effort on goal. But for the rest of the game, we have had Sheffield United knock, knock, knocking on that door. This Sheffield United side, Tom, of course, they beat Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. They pushed Liverpool really, really hard. They have conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League. They're an absolutely brilliant outfit, and they are really unsettling Spurs in front of their home fans. It is still nil-nil, but it's
it's not going to stay that way for long. Been a goal at uh, Newcastle, a goal at Everton, and both the away teams on the sheet there. So Bournemouth lead Newcastle by one goal to nil. Everton lead Southampton by one goal to nil. And Burnley are in the lead against poor West Ham at the moment. <laughs> uh, lots to look forward to for boxing fans here in the region in the coming weeks. I know that my friend and yours, Mr Chris McCarty, has booked his tickets already uh, to go down to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for a small fight at the beginning of December. Indeed he has. Well, I say that Chris has booked them. Of course, Chris hasn't organised that himself. Oh, I, I booked them for him, yeah. <laughs> and his wife booked the uh, booked the flights for us. So Chris, <laughs> Chris will just turn up when he's told on the morning of. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We're, what, three weeks, four weeks away from Anthony Joshua trying to wrestle those belts that he so shockingly lost in New York to Andy Ruiz Jr. What, in June it was, I believe. Yeah, of course. And that's a fight that, of course, has got the whole area talking, this whole region talking. It's the first time that we're going to have heavyweight championship boxing in the Middle East. I, for one, am very, very excited. I'm also very excited to see Saudi Arabia for the first time. Deontay Wilder before that as well. Lots to talk about. Unless we forget, a massive one to talk about over the course of the weekend. I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to hand over to you, Matt Fortune. Yeah, thanks very much, Tom. There's a small part of me that absolutely laments the fact that I'm talking about it, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't interested at all. And thankfully, we have a genuine expert on boxing on the line that's joining us from Los Angeles. Hello to Martin Domin of the Mirror newspaper in the UK. Yeah. Hi, Martin. How are you, sir? Thank you very much. Of course, I realize that the time is very early for you <laughs> in Los Angeles. You're a good man for responding to my message about three hours ago. Can you give us a little bit of background on what is being called the biggest boxing fight of the year? Absolutely, as you say, it's, it's almost sad that it is indeed being called that. But twelve months, well, just over twelve months ago, two YouTubers—I think they call them KSI, not his real name—and Logan Paul <laughs> met in a basically what was a, a white-collar match in Manchester. Uh, Twenty-one thousand people came along; millions watched it online, which sort of says it all. And then when people saw that, everyone got involved. Eddie Hearn, who's obviously a professional boxing promoter, Sky Sports, the Zone in the US. And they've done professional, believe it or not. They will both make their professional debut tonight in a few hours' time in the Staples Centre, where Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder almost a year ago, where mass many massive fights have taken place. There'll be no headguards, there'll be smaller gloves. And, listen, everyone is divided about it, but like it or not, it's definitely happening. Yeah, it's an incredible thing. I've, been, I've, look, I've looked at the numbers, not the numbers that we normally talk about in terms of purse and weight of the two fighters, but between them, they've got 40 million followers on YouTube. Now, if everyone pays $1, that's a bigger purse than AJV Andy Ruiz in a month's time, is it not? It certainly is. It's, I'm, if, you, if you don't mind me saying, I think you and I are both too old to be of that YouTube generation. The idea <laughs> that you know people filmed themselves playing FIFA and put it on YouTube or filmed themselves playing pranks and put it on YouTube. But these two guys have, like it or not, they've worked very, very hard. They've made millions of pounds before they stepped into a boxing ring. And that's why everyone got involved, because they saw the numbers. There will be, I think, around about 15,000 fans in the stadium, perhaps, uh, in the arena tonight, which is it's not a satellite, but it's not about bombs on seats, it's about eyes on screens. And people, millions, will watch it, let's say, on Sky Sports, on the Zone. Um, eventually it'll be streamed on YouTube. You know, you can't argue with the numbers, and that's why everyone wants a, 
a piece of the pie. And you touch on, on the effort that they've put in. I notice in the corner, you've got Shannon Briggs in one corner, of course, a former champion. You've got Jeff Mayweather, of course, having his fair hand on Floyd through most of his career. I mean, these guys are being taken very, very seriously. And you look at the weigh-in. I mean, I'm not going to give him too much credit, but Logan Paul looked in incredible shape, did he not? He did. And to be fair to him, he does have some athletic background. He was a, a wrestler in college. Obviously, American sport is a much bigger thing at college than, than sport is at school in the UK. I mean, Sharon Briggs, I don't know, he's, 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 just, he's a hype man, I think, as, as KSI <laughs> has said this week. He will probably attach himself to anything. But yeah, she's like, they've definitely worked hard. If you, if you look at the videos, the TV, the, the training footage, they've definitely worked hard for this. And I think what you have to remember is that these are the reasons that evenly match. Someone may well get knocked out, but going into it, the reasons that evenly match, it's not like... You know, it's not as mismatched as Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather, either. <laughs> so I think there is a lot of criticism in it. Yes, you call it a professional fight, but it's simply a high-collar fight, really, with no head guards and smaller clubs. Yeah, you touch on that. I was curious to read. So, of course, their fight last year was was very amateur. I know it was in a 21,000-seater venue. But this is proper professional boxing, is it not? With 10-ounce gloves, no lids. Is there a fear that perhaps one of these guys could be in serious danger? I think, this, I mean, I, I think this, Denny Hare said the worst thing that could happen is that someone gets knocked out. And I said, well, no, the worst thing that could happen is that somebody could die. And we've seen four boxers die this year already as a result of injuries suffered in the ring. So he was maybe a bit flippant there. But I guess, as I said, the point is it's the same risk as for any fight. And it's not as if one fighter's going in with a proper professional. You know, they're, they're both of the same level. And I think actually... It's more likely there's a professional referee, of course, the same referee who was in charge for Wilder Fury. I think as soon as it gets to a point where someone's in trouble, he will probably step in and stop it. I don't actually, I don't think either man will be allowed to take too much punishment. That's interesting. And away from the fight, away from the stadium, you, of course, as, as a journalist, get to experience what it's like in fight week more often than the rest of us sofa fans such as myself. Is there an atmosphere for this fight in and around Los Angeles, in and around the city? Is there anything that you can compare it to? Or is this very much, as you said earlier, something for the online viewers? Honestly, there's been very little sort of evidence of anyone actually being involved here. There was a public workout on Venice Beach on Tuesday. There were not that many people there. And that was at night. So, you know, people were free from work. Uh, the way in yesterday was sparsely attended. I mean, basically, these two have, as you said, 40 million fans, followers between them. But they're probably largely teenagers. They're probably teenage girls. Now, there's no way that teenagers are fighting more from London to support KSI. And obviously, Logan Paul's fans are from all across the world. And again, they're not going to, to fly in. So they're basically relying on people in LA who have got some money and who want to come and watch. I think they may well be one of those sort of celebrity crowds, if you like. It's just something to be seen at. Justin Bieber will be there. I believe. So uh, there's not a huge appetite for it, but as I say, I don't think people really care as long as they tune in. It's interesting stuff. And of course, am I right in thinking that, that it's only a week until we get some proper heavyweight boxing in the same city? Is it inside the same stadium when Wilder goes up against Ortiz? Uh, Wilder Ortiz is in Las Vegas. I'm not sure, actually. You caught me on, caught me on the hot there, but yeah, it is in a couple of weeks. Um, obviously, all, all, all the UK guys hope that Wilder will come through that so he can fight Tyson Fury again next year. And actually, I think there's a big, there's a lot of talk about how this fight will bring in the audience to boxing. I think more realistically, probably won't. It's just a one-off thing. 
and you know, within a few weeks, and by the time Wilder comes around, we'll stop talking about YouTube and talking about proper boxing again. <laughs> Promising. And one last thing, Martin, before I, before I let you go and, and perhaps get some sleep that we've cruelly robbed you of. Anything on the undercard for actual <laughs> boxing fans to worth tuning for? I see that Billy Joel Saunders is on is on the card. He is. To be fair, Eddie Hearn made it clear from the start that this would not be an all YouTube card as the first fight was. So that's the only YouTube fight is the main event. Billy Joe Sanders defense as well, super middleweight fight. So in his American debut, he's talked a lot about bringing new fans to the sport, new fans for him. He is one of the most gifted technical boxers that we have. So definitely worth seeing him. And Devin Haney, newly crowned lightweight world champion, 20 years old, the youngest world champion since Mike Tyson. Uh, again, very slick boxer, and listen, hopefully people will watch the fights. Hopefully people will come to the stadium earlier rather than just coming for the main event. There's definitely some good boxing in the show. Excellent stuff, Martin. Thanks ever so much for your time. Very much appreciated, sir. Enjoy the fight. Thank you, Matt. See you later. Cheers. Yeah, thanks very much indeed for that. Let's get back to the football. And... Yeah, sorry, Tom. Sorry, Nicholas, if you are still listening as well. It's now Burnley 2, West Ham United 0. It was Ashley Barnes that scored the opener. It's his strike buddy who's got the second. It's the big Kiwi, Chris Wood, formerly, of course, of Leeds United, who has rifled Burnley into a 2-0 lead. It's not good for West Ham United. It's really not good. Burnley, with a flea in their bonnet, I'm sure, from are they the... Check uh, yeah, check are they checking VAR, are they? They're just taking a little look at it, are they? Clashed up on You've the stopped me mid-flow here to have a little look at this one, Tom. So you may have a reprieve. We'll keep an eye on this one. It is Chris Wood with it. And I was just about to say that Sean Dyche, he would have been unhappy, to say the least, with that 3-0 defeat oh, at Sheffield United. It could be another arm one. And I tell you what, this is not going to be given. I think Chris Wood, if they're going to stick with consistency with VAR, we're seeing a replay of it. He is leaning offside he's got probably his elbow to the tip of his finger is offside which means if they are consistent that this goal will be ruled out it's no. another nonsense no, is if what it's it is. elbow sorry to to jump in there chris but if it's elbow to tip of the finger then surely he's still onside no. it's anything with which you no. can play the ball to score no they've, they've not given it no it's anything now it's, it's like roberto Firmino at aston villa they have not given the goal he has been deemed offside and literally it's his arm that's offside you, you're right to stick on that it's anything other than part of your body that you can with score you from. Can score. That rule has gone out the window weeks ago with the incident at King Power Stadium yeah. when Tottenham had a great goal. I think it was Sun that was ruled out. Then we saw Roberto Firmino last week at Aston Villa and likewise today. So the good news if you're a Hammers, Nicholas, stay tuned to us because your team only trail by a goal. Yeah, I love this VAR. I think it's brilliant. The VAR uh, <laughs> is just the greatest invention since mankind. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, let's hear from Sean Dyche if we can. Uh, he spoke before this game about... Uh, a new contract for his star man, Ashley Barnes. Not really pleased. Um, there's a number of situations I've said all along. We always keep in good dialogue, we feel, and open dialogue with the players and their agents. Um, and, and some deals happen quicker, some slower, of course. That's just the way it is. Um, we want to safeguard the club the best we can. And that's um, another step in the right direction when we sign you know, good players and players that have been historically good for us and continue to be good players. It's a, a good sign for the club to continue uh, keeping these players here. It's a remarkable rise for him from non-league to Premier League. Can you re recall what persuaded you to sign him? I think there was a mixture of things. I think we liked what he was about um, when he was at Brighton. Uh, we'd known him for a few years there. 
um, and being realistic as well, the, the budgetary side of things at the club. Um, you know, I think he cost us the, the huge sum of 450000 I think, and then more add-ons when we went up. So I don't know, it ended up, I don't know, 750 or something like that. That was the world that was in at the time. It was my only signing for the first 18 months and, and a very good one it's been too. Um, so a mixture of things, you know, we were shopping in the, the, re the reality market that we often have to shop in. But I must make it clear, we did feel he was a player who was good then and could continue to improve. And I think he has on both levels. He's been good then. He's continued to get better and, and continues to improve as a player. Well, he's certainly got the muckers over Manuel Pellegrini at the moment. Let's hear from Pellegrini, then we'll give you some team news uh, on this game uh, that uh, his team, Daish's team, lead at the moment. Uh, Pellegrini, interesting, he's got uh, Dianga out on loan at the moment over at West Brom. He's asked midweek about bringing uh, Dianga back to West Ham, given the fact that they are, well, they're not scoring goals at the moment. However, he said no, no, no. And it goes back to what you were saying a little earlier on about, you know, what's best for the player rather Rather than the club, and that seems to be the position that Manuel Pellegrini is taking with Dianga, yeah. saying that he wants him to play 40 games at West Brom. Let's have a listen. I think that great Diangana is doing what we wanted to for him, uh, same as Josh Kuller, a player that without any doubt that will be part of uh, the team or the West Ham in the future. I was one of the players that uh, trust a lot in Grady and I think that it was better for him to go and play 40 games this year and be absolutely ready for next season that playing here some games so I think that we must continue supporting him we must continue being happy for his performance and he must finish his season where he is so uh, that, uh, those are the two managers for uh, Burnley against West Ham. As we told you, it's 1-0 at the moment. Uh, how do they start? Yeah, let's start with Burnley. Matthew will give you the West Ham team in just a second. But Burnley, of course, looking to bounce back. As I said a little earlier, that 3-0. It's not often you see Burnley lose football matches. Not certainly against the teams in and around them. That's what they did last weekend at Bramall Lane, however. They would have had a rocket up them this week from Sean Dyche and you can hear there I don't think he's got a cigarette <laughs> habit I think he's just a bit like me he's just maybe had a recent kid it does wonderful things well, to your voice if he's been given a rocket throughout the week that's probably shouting at them all well week, there is that <laughs> there probably is that as well I can tell you he's gone yeah, into it's right, man, isn't it? <laughs> he's gone in today with Pope and goals it's a back four of Phil Barsley the former Manchester United right back Charlie Taylor ex-Leeds and then it's Tarkovsky and Ben Mee midfield four it's industrious so it is Jeff Henrik Jack Cork Ashley Westwood and Dwight McNeil. He's the one that gives them that little X factor on the left-hand side. And then it's the big front two. It's Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes. And for the Hammers, Tom, it's their usual lineup. They start with Roberto in goal. Now, I know we've been critical of West Ham and the way they've been approaching things going forward, but that has not been helping them, as it Lucas Fabianski's injury. Of course, I know only too well the carelessness that sometimes seeps into the Poles game, but he has been nothing short of brilliant for West Ham, has he not? Yeah, and, that, and I made the point to Chris last week. I've made it to other uh, West Ham fans throughout the week uh, on socials about that that's, that's, the, that's what they're lacking at the moment. I haven't seen the West Ham goal yet. I pretty much guarantee that the keeper might have been at fault because it's certainly what has been for the last couple of uh, goals in the last couple of weeks. Fabianski gives that yeah. gives that solid foundation yeah. from which sort of defence can just rely on him. Uh, and I, I saw this in the in the off season. I'm not saying that any sort of you know signings oracle or anything like that. But I just thought they bought badly with regards to cover for the keepers. And Got then rid Adrian, of Adrian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Adrian's. I see Adrian. It's not Rocky's misses. Adrian is at uh, Liverpool now, and you, it's not an upgrade. I, I don't quite get that. We've got another goal, though. We're going to have to break away here because... Oh! We've 
we've got a goal at St James's Park. Is the offside flag up? I don't think it is, you know, and it is DeAndre Yedlin who's celebrating. Is he celebrating? Yeah, they are. I mean, he doesn't look too happy with it. He's just equalised for his side, for goodness sake. Saint-Maximin has the man that does a lot of the damage down the left-hand side. His shot is deflected. And Yedlin has got no right to be there. He's a right wing-back, for goodness sake. It's he that's flying in, right on the six-yard box, diving header, keeper nowhere. It's Newcastle 1, Bournemouth 1. So just back to the West Ham team. Uh, let's get the line-up. Yes, Tom, so as I was saying, so Roberto at the back, and that, and that confidence that you were touching upon, that then, or lack of, should I say, seeps into a rear guard that's actually not too bad, to be honest. You've got Aaron Cresswell at left-back, whose form has fallen off yeah. from the sort of player that was linked with a move to, towards a top-six, top-eight side maybe about 18 months ago. He's alongside Issa Diop and Fabian Balbuena with Ryan Fredericks on the right at uh, right-back. Declan Rice, another one of those players who are big, big things we're expectant of, hasn't quite kicked on. If anything has dropped back, he sits in the hole behind a midfield forward, Felipe Anderson, Robert Snodgrass. Captain Mark Noble started the game but was hooked after 20 minutes, I can only assume for an injury, and Pablo Fornals on the right, Sebastian Haller up top. With the fact that it was Andrei Yarmolenko that came in, I think there's been a slight formational change, but it hasn't worked out. Shocker. Absolute shocker for the second time I'm butting in. Sorry, Matthew. But this time, Burnley, a couple of minutes ago, thought they had a two-goal advantage. They didn't because the VAR boys got involved and ruled Chris Wood's effort out. Well, I can tell you, the big Kiwi has finally got on the score sheet. And West Ham, they're victims of their own downfall here because they're trying to pass the ball out from the back. It doesn't work. They get it all wrong. Communication's not there. Eventually, the ball is fed in to big Chris Wood. First time on that left foot, stronger left foot of his Roberto gets a hand to it not strong enough to keep it out Burnley lead by two goals to nil and I can tell you now three points are staying at Turf Moor West Ham are at sixes and sevens West Ham are blooming awful before the keeper suffered the injury which will keep him out until the end of December can't come quick enough I tell you his return West Ham have won uh, had lost just once in six games and that was the against the reigning champions Manchester City in the opening day. Draw at Brighton was followed by wins at Watford and at home against that. Uh, after that, the decline happens, though, uh, and it looks pretty shocking as well. Uh, nine less points, double the goals conceded uh, during the time that Roberto's been in sticks. And it gets even worse than that because we haven't really got cover for Roberto because I remember we got him in from... He was second choice. He's about 34. He came yeah. in from La Liga. Where was he? Villarreal or Real Betis or something like that before? Espanol. Espanol, that's exactly it. Uh, but the other one, the other one that we brought in was the guy who was at Millwall. Uh, I can't remember the former. Archer. No, the former West Ham player. He was the, the they, they brought him, not from Millwall, it was a Milton Keynes-Dons. Anyway, who was the, I'm going to have to find this one out because I need my statistics. <laughs> but I remember at the time going, hang on, why are we buying him as our third choice goalkeeper? Because you're thinking of the old boy. It was Millwall. It was. And it's uh, his son. Oh, he used to play for West Ham. as well. Shaka Hislop. No. no. Alvin? No. Mark? No. I will get it. But it's, it's the, the old it's, guy. It's his son who uh, who had that shocker during the FA Cup when uh, I think they were playing against... Again, I'm not going to have the name Gee, for this one. This is award-winning radio right here. West Ham fans out there, help us out, please. Well, there help are a us. few listening in. David Martin. David Alvin Martin's Alvin brother, Martin's son. son. Yeah, you're right. And he was playing for... Millwall. Millwall. 33. And the, the, best, the best moment he had last season was... FA Cup, exit, Millwall went quite deep. Again, I can't remember. Tottenham, I think they were playing Tottenham. Yeah, and the, he had the rick. And it went straight through his legs. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're not doing well with goalkeepers, are you? So you've got Roberto and David Martin. Ay, ay, ay. There's a weakness if ever there was one. Bring back Lucas Fibianski. Uh, they say the end of December. Let's wait and see. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be round the grounds. Uh, more team news coming your way as well in just a few moments' time. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. We'll give you classified half-times in a few moments' time, just waiting for half-time whistle in a couple of the Premier League games. As soon as we get those, uh, we will put you in the picture. I uh, just want to give you a bit of team news, let you know how things started out 45 minutes ago. Uh, let's get some thoughts from the Newcastle boss first, if we can. Here, Steve Bruce, who uh, believes that wins give them belief. I've said from day one, the only thing that will give you is a result and a performance. So the more results you get sitting here in this chair, the more results you get, the more if life becomes a little bit easier for you, then fine. But I think people can, the supporters can see a direction we're trying to go into. And um, I think they're pleasantly pleased of what they've seen last week in particular. So the one thing is we've got to keep it going. There's no, you know, you know, um, back-to-back wins in the Premier League are huge. So can we go and do it, and can we do it in front of our own supporters, which obviously would be nice. So those are the thoughts of Mr Bruce. What about his uh, opponent today, Eddie Howe? Three clean sheets for Bournemouth. Things looking good? Yeah, it'd be, it would be really good. I think the less I talk about that, probably the better. Um, with these statistics and things like that, the more you make of it, sometimes that's a way of working against you. So I think for us, I'll just be saying to our, our team, um, out of possession, to continue their good work. Um, to have the same mentality that we've shown in recent weeks because um, I've been really pleased with that side of our game. I think it's we've had a, a steeliness in the last few games that's uh, made a big difference and um, we want that to become part of our DNA. Let's give you a bit of team news and, of course, a half-time update. Chris McCarty? Yeah, before I give you team news, Tom, just on the subject of Steve Bruce, one of the best videos that has tickled me pink over the course of the past fortnight that I implore you all to find is Steve Bruce getting out of that chair that he's just mentioned there, the little noises that he makes. Someone's put a compilation together. It's in and out of Steve Bruce getting in and out of that chair. It is without question the best 90 seconds on the internet right now. It's genius, it's, is it's, what it is. It's what Twitter was made for. It's the sort of thing that you <laughs> it's, just... <laughs> it's, uh, get it up now, Tom, and enjoy it. And if you guys out there, when you do get off the roads and you get home safely, do check that out. But as for the Newcastle starting 11, Martin Dubravka starts in goals. It's a back five, and Steve Bruce is enjoying this back five. Yedlin, right wing back. You've got Jetro Velens, the Dutchman, left wing back. The defensive three, you've got Federico Fernandez, ex-Swansea, Jamal Lasselles, the skipper, and Kieran Clark. I should tell you as well, Lascelles has gone off injured. He's been replaced by Paul Dummett. Midfield four, you've got the two anchors, John Joe Shelby and Isaac Hayden. Then the two creative souls, Almiron on the right, St. Maximen on the left, and then up front, ploughing a lone furrow. It is the Brazilian that they signed for big money from Hoffenheim in Germany in the summer. It's Joe Linton. That is Newcastle's starting eleven. Meanwhile, uh, their opponents... To, oh, sorry, I've got the video. Over to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to that. For, I'll make sure I take up the 90 seconds, Tom. <laughs> Indeed, opposite that, and just a word for Joe Linton, there's just something about seeing a lone striker up top that just makes my heart break. It must be so, so tough. As it is, he is going up against the back four for Bournemouth. Very, very formulaic, as we expect from Eddie Howe. You've got Aaron Ramsdale in goal, then you've got Diego Rico, Nathan Aki, the excellent former Chelsea centre-half, alongside Steve Cook, another player who continues 
continues to improve for Bournemouth and Adam Smith at right back. Then there's a midfield four flung out, very, very traditional. Harry Rilson on the right, the goal scorer. That lovely taken goal, of course, cancelled out just before the break. Ryan Fraser on the other side. Fraser not quite hit the heights, I don't think, of the last year, 18 months. I know there's a contract wrangle. I know his head was turned by the summer interest, we believe, from Arsenal. But he's back in the side again, looking to make the most of his skill set. You've got Philip Binning and Lewis Cook in the middle. And then up front, that too, the Norwegian Josh King and then Callum Wilson, the other signs of forward. Uh, that is what is happening with that team news. As I said, we'll go through the half-time scores for you in just a little while. just want to break away, though, because I want to talk rugby again, much as it pains me uh, after the uh, England defeat last week. Uh, but a former Springbok great, a man who knows what it is to win a Rugby World Cup, has been in town this week, and you got an opportunity to catch up with him. Yeah, South African Business Council, a big thanks to them, Tom, because it was they that kind of put their hands up to say, hey, listen, John Schmidt's in town, would you like to chat to him? And we did just that. We got 20 minutes. Lovely fella. I'm sure you've done various events with John over the years. Really good lad. And I want to hear from him now because for you South Africans out there, for you rugby lovers out there, of course, this win for South Africa with Sia Khaleesi, first black captain as well, it means more than just a rugby success. We spoke to John. First port of call with John was to get his thoughts on whether South Africa won it or England helped them win it. I put that question to him. I played two seasons with a lot of those boys um, in the English side, and they're, they're, they're good, they're unbelievable players. They've won almost every trophy that there is in, in Europe and in, in, the, in the UK. Eddie Jones worked with us in 07. He's also a you know, phenomenally good coach. And, and I've, I've actually, I do feel for them because it was a, a near perfect display over six and a half weeks that England just went in there. They were, they just, you know, Eddie was brilliant in the press conferences, their strategy was good. They're mixing and matching of 9 and 10 and 12 and Faz at 12 versus um, uh, 4 to 10. I think worked well. And, and when, when he changed it, he changed it for Karevi for Australia and he put Faz back at uh, 10 to, to combat that. But then when he had the challenge of facing Darlander, who's also a power 12, I was surprised that he didn't keep Farrell at 10, which for me was probably the, sort of the first sort of um, mistake maybe that they've made from a selection point of view. But I'm not sure that it is actually relevant because I think it was one of those performances where, like the England did to the All Blacks the week before, I mean, it's almost like the All Blacks couldn't come up for air. England yeah. was so powerful. They were so clinical. They were so good that it, it, it's hard to say that the All Blacks were poor in that semifinal. They just got absolutely monstered. And it was almost a complete reversal uh, the next weekend. And it's, it's, it is funny, and there's certain things that you go on in your gut feel and perception, but it is near impossible to lift yourself up from a performance like that against the Kiwis and replicate that a week later against a team that's nowhere near as fancy as the Kiwis, but probably twice as physical, a pack of four, two packs of forwards, one on the bench and one starting that are probably two of the strongest packs in world rugby at the moment, biggest, most physical. And, um, and, and, that, and, and, and I guess that things happened also in the beginning where they, after two and a half minutes, Sinclair went down. They didn't get any of that momentum, that early on momentum they got against the Kiwis, and that's sort of favoured South Africa as well. So I guess it was almost one of those things where the stars aligned. And, and South Africa are a difficult team to play in a final because they don't just play for the trophy, they play for such a massive responsibility back home. It's, and they're always going to get up much bigger than any other occasion. So it, it, I guess a perfect storm, really, for, for, for an English side. You've almost answered my next question, John, because you, your boys did it in 2007. Three finals and three victories, we know how difficult it is to win a final. You know, you, you spend four mm. years preparing, you get to that final, 
And as we've seen with some other teams, 95 and the All Blacks there, sometimes they just can't quite put it together. But South Africa, every time they've been in a final, they have won it. Do, do you know, I mean, can you give us an insight into what yeah. makes them such a great big occasion team? I think it's uh, it's hard to explain, but the Sapphires have got this, you know, we've got an, 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 a very, very interesting um, history and, 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 and it's it's one that's started from segregation and has then turned into uh, probably one of the, the youngest democracies in, in the world. And it's been 25 years on, but there's this gravitational pull of responsibility on sporting teams because for the last 25 years, they have been, and especially the Springboks, have been, the, the sole biggest catalyst for unity and transformation, and I guess a, a, a um, people realizing how, how good South Africa can be when they are standing together. And this gravitational pull is not something that's spoken about. It's just it's something that you feel. You just know. It. And it's you play a test match in South Africa on Saturday and you win. Mondays are unbelievably much better than they would normally be. The Springboks lose, I promise you, it's depressing. The whole country, it's almost as if it has an effect on the economy. That's just how passionate South Africa is about sport and, and in particular about the Springboks because of what the Springboks have become. They've become this team that always produces for, for the nation. And there was 57 million people out there on the weekend hoping and praying. And, and for the first time ever, it was free to air. So every single South African was, was, was watching. And that kind of responsibility just creates this gravitational pull that makes you realize as a springback in that occasion that there's no option to lose. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.